here. Glad that we don't have a snowstorm this morning. We can be together. Um, it's so good to be together to worship the Lord. Um, my name is Paul Buckley. I'm uh, the lead pastor here. And welcome. I pray God's blessing on you as you join with us, to, certainly to all of our members and regular attendees, but also our guests. Um, let us know how we can help you. We pray God just blesses your time here with us. We, uh, as a church, are um, we are formed really by the Word of God. We are guided by the Word of God and, and inspired and refreshed and renewed by the Word of God. So part of our worship time when we come together uh, is not only to sing uh, His truth and, and share it perhaps one with another, but to be before His Word in, in the proclamation and in sermons. And so we uh, spend time doing that and we are going through the book of First Thessalonians together. We're actually getting near the end of this book. We're in chapter 5. And we, for the most part, uh, in our time as a church, we go through books of the Bible. And we we do that because it's His living Word. And it's a blessing to us. So as you turn uh, to chapter 5, verses 12-13, that's where we'll be focusing on. Let me tell you a little bit of uh, story as background. Um, Scott had uh, come to faith in Christ as a high school student. He uh, came to Christ through his local church's youth ministry and he quickly grew in his faith. Uh, He led a number of his friends to faith in Christ and by his senior year, he was a youth leader in in, uh, youth ministry in the church. He decided to go to Bible college to pursue a degree in pastoral and youth ministry and then he went on to seminary all the while uh, attending good local churches near the schools and, and receiving strong recommendations from fellow church members and his pastors. And so uh, when the time came, uh, it was with great excitement that he took on his role uh, as a lead pastor of a a church that was a well-established church that was looking for new youthful leadership to kind of lead them forward. And at first, everything went really well in the church. Uh, They loved his faithful uh, preaching of God's Word. They loved his youthful enthusiasm. And they were excited about growing and reaching younger people in a more diverse part of the community, but the honeymoon phase didn't last that long because once Scott started to make some changes uh, to certain things on the church calendar, certain ministries, just simply to make room for more outreach, uh, people started to object. And then when young people from various backgrounds, different social and ethnic backgrounds, started being brought into the church with their uh, noisy kids and their messy lives, people started to object even more. And when he started to try to encourage some of the older folks who ran some of the ministries to take under their wings some of the younger people to mentor them, and with the possibility of those younger people eventually replacing them, then he got in real trouble. Uh, They accused him of trying to take over the church. And there were secret meetings behind his back, and and then an ultimatum from a group of the deacons, and then uh, at the annual meeting, a vote of no confidence. And soon Scott and his wife and young children found themselves having to vacate the parsonage within the month. Now this story is uh, based on a a true story and it's a composite as well of many stories I have heard as a pastor. Too often this story is repeated and I've known many, many pastors and their families who have gone through such occasions, such circumstances, such trials. 
Uh, and, and it's not to say there aren't times when a pastor needs to be evaluated and, and even adjusted, but too often congregations are, are allowed to treat their pastors in a terrible, really unchristian way. Maybe you uh, have been on the receiving end of such uh, unchristian treatment. Maybe you have participated in it, in it yourself. Well, God has something for us all in today's passage. He has truth for us from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that, that realigns our thinking about pastors and about the local church. So uh, let's dig into God's Word. Let's pray and ask Him to help us to learn from Him and His Word. And then we'll read. So Lord, we, we come before You now and we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that You have truth for us that transforms us. Transforms us individually, but also as a church and as churches. And we thank You for Your life and Your ways and Your rescue, Lord. That we don't have to settle for that story like Scott's. There's something much better. And so now I pray as we look at Your Word, would You, would you speak to us? Would You inform our minds? And would You transform our, our expectations and, and behavior in church as a result? According to Your Word, because of Your grace and Your life alone, Lord. We need Your help and we thank You that You're eager to give it. So bless the reading and the proclamation and teaching of Your Word this morning, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Two short verses here, just chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, as Paul is finishing this letter and bringing a number of, of uh, exhortations and encouragements here that are all worthy of a, of a different message. Verses 12 and 13, 13, he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Two verses full of lots of truth. And, and just to say up front, guys, it's, it's awkward for me to preach this passage. Um, it's kind of like you know, planning your own surprise party or something. You know, I'm, I'm telling you what you should do for me sort of thing. And, and, uh, and that makes it awkward and, and I'm not... Uh, I'd rather not preach this just because of that. But, you know, that's the benefit of going through the entire Bible, right? We have to preach the passages we don't like to preach. Uh, and, and we have to hear from God the things that maybe we wouldn't choose to hear. So for, for me right now, I'm, I'm in that place. Perhaps you're feeling that too. Uh, and as I was praying about this week, I, I felt like the Lord helped me. Uh, the idea came to my mind of, you know, just proclaim it as if this weren't your church. That, that you're coming in. Uh, to bring the Word of God as a consultant. So think of it that way. And that was helpful. Now I can't think of you guys not, as not being my church. But it helps me just to step back, you know, and I have a responsibility to be as objective as possible and just bring in God's Word. So I want you to hear that. It's awkward for me, but that I, uh, should not keep me from fully proclaiming the counsel of God because we need to hear it. And there's good from it as a result. So I trust God in this. So in my best attempt to teach objectively, trusting God, here goes. I want to dig into this passage. I want to look at some of the specific commands. So there are four different sub-points here. But the main point in all of this is that we are to seek the peace and success of our local church by deeply loving and supporting our pastors. That's really what Paul's saying. We're to seek the peace and success of our local church by deeply loving and supporting our pastors. Actually, as I thought about that sentence, I was just going to say we ought to seek the peace of our local church because biblical peace is, is not just freedom from strife, but it's success. It's flourishing. So success is in the word, the biblical word peace, but I wanted to make it clear that it's peace and success. 
uh, by deeply loving and supporting our pastors. That's what Paul's saying. So let's dig into the four different aspects of what he says here. So first, um, just to give you a little background, we don't know all the circumstances in the church of Thessalonica. We know a little bit because Paul talks about their circumstances. We know that he was there with his team for a relatively short amount of time. And he was concerned about their faith, how they were doing, whether they were continuing to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus. And so part of what the letter is about is he's relaying to them that he's heard they're doing well and he's really glad to hear that. But he wasn't so sure. It looks like they had some confusion in the church. We just spent time past two weeks looking at the topic of Jesus' return. So there was some confusion on His return. It looks like, by looking in 1 Thessalonians and 2, that some people uh, were interpreting Jesus' return as an excuse to kind of to change their lifestyle and, and not work. Just to kind of sit around and talk theology and wait for Jesus to come back. And so what you see here is that Paul is encouraging them to work hard. And, and we talked about that recently. Pastor Jeff led us through that. Uh, that our new life in Christ propels us to use our gifts and to work hard uh, to serve others and bless others. Uh, and it looks like that perhaps there was a segment in the church that was causing some trouble somehow. Uh, and maybe it was the same group. The ones that weren't working were thinking, you know, this is what we ought to do. And their leaders were coming in. Their, their pastors were coming in and saying, no, we, we need to do this. And so there was some sort of tension uh, perhaps. We don't know for sure. And, and it could have been a specific situation like that. Or it could have just been that Paul thought, you know what, sooner or later they're going to need to hear this, so I'll say this now. And so he says here, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you. Uh, he, the word ask is, is a, not just like a, a simple asking, it's a little more urgent than that. And so some English translations say, we beseech you brothers. We, we are pleading with you brothers. We're, we're urging you guys to think about this. Uh, uh, to to, to respect those who labor among you. And, and the word respect actually can be translated, it's actually uh, literally to know. Uh, that's how you translate it, but in, in the original language that can mean different things. To acknowledge, uh, to recognize, to, to esteem, to respect. And so Paul is asking them, he's saying, guys, this is really urgent, I'm asking you to, to um, acknowledge those who labor among you. Isn't that interesting? That he says that? Uh, it, if you understand it as to acknowledge those who labor among you, he's saying to, to just recognize them. Why would, he, why would he say that? What would he mean? I mean, is it that they don't even know that they're there? Somehow that the, these guys are, are serving as pastors and they're not aware of their presence? I don't think so. I think Paul means that they ought to recognize something deeper about these pastors. And that's where the translation respect comes in. Uh, that, that the church needs to to think more deeply about these guys that are pastors. And by the way, I would understand that, that those who he's talking about are pastors. They're, the reason for that is because the description of what they're doing fits right in line with what we see about pastors elsewhere. Um, and, and the history of uh, the Jewish synagogue and so forth, they had elders operating. So it makes sense that this church already had uh, some sort of pastors serving here by the description here and elsewhere. And, and so... Paul's asking them to, to recognize those, to, to know, to acknowledge those who are laboring among them. To stop and think about how to treat them is really what I think he's getting at. To, to not simply go through the motions. And I think this speaks to, to a temptation we can have. We can just kind of do church 
and not really think about what's going on. Not see kind of what's behind the scenes. We can think about church on a horizontal plane. Uh, on, on a human plane. And that's not wrong, but it's really not the whole picture. We can think in terms of uh, you know, church of just like, what's this thing that's going on? You know, what's my pastor wanting to do here? And, and, and think on a horizontal plane, how it affects us horizontally, and not see behind the scenes, not see the vertical. And I think that's part of what Paul's getting at here, that, that they need to think more deeply about these pastors as they labor. They need to acknowledge uh, what's going on. And so, we can step outside of the passage to kind of get that information. And Paul probably taught them at, at some point more information. And, and so the re- there's other places in Scripture that speak of pastors. And I think an important verse to look at is in Ephesians chapter 4, where it speaks about pastors and the nature of pastors and what, what they are. So Ephesians chapter 4, uh, you can read that whole section if you can project that. Uh, chapter 4, verses 8 through 13. Uh, it says this, uh, in, starting in verse 8, speaking of Jesus, it says, Therefore, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. So Jesus, when He ascended, after His resurrection, after uh, spending time with His disciples, He ascends and He gives gifts to men. He pours out gifts to men. And this is in fulfillment of the Scriptures. And then verse 11 says, And He gave what? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd and, shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, when Christ ascends, He gives gifts to men. And there's different gifts. There are the the gifts of of these foundational leaders, apostles, prophets, and the gift of evangelists. And then there's the gift of the shepherds and teachers. Really, that's that's probably a compound gift in one one office, the shepherd-teacher. Uh, the pastor, shepherd is the word. Pastor is the word for shepherd. So uh, these are pastors are gifts from the ascended Christ to the church. That's the background. That part of what Paul's wanting to get at, I think, and saying to the Thessalonians, I want you to respect. I want you to acknowledge. I want you to be aware of those who labor among you. That these people are gifts from Christ for the church, for the good of the church, because that's the point, right? He gives these gifts. We see in Ephesians 4, for what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So, pastors are called to equip the saints through through their teaching, through their example, through their leadership, to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that the saints can build up the body of Christ until we attain as a local church and uh, uh, all local churches to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the goal is that the local church will be mature. It will look like Jesus and do the work of Jesus. And so He gives us these gifts of leaders, of pastors, for this purpose. And we're to to recognize that that's what's going on here. That, That we don't just think on the horizontal plane, we need to think on the vertical. We need to see what God is doing and how God is at work. A parallel passage I would throw in as well is what we see in Hebrews chapter 13. That these leaders, uh, we'll read it in a second, that these leaders are not only given as gifts to the church for the good of the church, but actually these leaders will have to stand before God on Judgment Day and give an account for that local church. That they are going to have to answer for the health and life and mission of that local church on Judgment Day. So Hebrews chapter 13 says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls 
as those who will have to give an account. They will have to give an account for your souls, for, your, for the local church. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Uh, this syncs well with our passage and we'll, we'll come back to it. But the point I wanted to make at first is that, that these grace gifts are given to the church and they're accountable. They're gifts from Christ to the church. They're accountable to Christ for that local church in a profound way. We're all accountable before Christ, but, but, but none of us except for your pastors are accountable in this way. We are accountable for this local church. We will have to stand before the Lord on Judgment Day and give an account for how we use the grace gifts we were given for the sake of this local church. And that scares me um, and forces me to cry out for mercy. But I want us to just think about that, that we understand who pastors are in terms of these things and not just think on the horizontal. Now, uh, there's lots of caveats here, a lot of qualifiers uh, we need to understand. And I, I want you to not to get me wrong in this and not get the Scriptures wrong. This is not saying that pastors have some sort of supreme authority over the local church uh, or that they are more important than others in the church. Not at all. Because we can look elsewhere and see that pastors are called to be under-shepherds like the chief shepherd who laid his very life down for the church. And so pastors are to lay their lives down for the sheep. And they do that because they recognize that the bride of Christ is that important. That the local church, the local expression of the bride of Christ is that important. So it's not that pastors are more important, it's that the church is more important and pastors are to serve their local church. And they do that as part of the body. They do that in a plurality and, and so forth. So there's all those qualifiers. We'll be touching on them as we go. I want you to understand those. But I also don't want us to miss the point here. What the Scripture is saying here and elsewhere. That pastors are very important to the life and mission of the local church. And they are gifts from the ascended Christ Himself. And must be received and regarded as such. And I would submit that the failure to do so is to sin against Jesus and His church. He gives us gifts. And, and by the way, um, that's part of how we operate in terms of raising future pastors up. We recognize we have a stewardship that Christ is the one who gives us the gifts. It's our stewardship as pastors, really as a whole church, to recognize those. Look, look I, see, I see this young man given gifts. Perhaps he is one given by Christ for the church. And so we invest in young men for pastoral ministry. And we invest in young men and women for leadership, diaconal leadership in the local church. Because we see them as gifts from Christ. And so we need to recognize that and failure to do so, I would, I would submit, is sin against Christ and His beloved church. In the introduction story, I think this was the problem with Scott's church. They saw him as something less than Christ's gift to them. They saw him perhaps as someone who came in to either advance their agenda or his agenda. They saw the horizontal. It was all about our agenda or Scott's agenda. They didn't see Christ's agenda. And when things got painful, they pushed back. But you know what? Christ's agenda is going to bring pain, isn't it? <laughs> when He calls us to follow Him, there's going to be painful things. We're going to have to give up our comfort. So, so let us not make the mistake to think, well, if it really were of Jesus, it would be painless. Matter of fact, it's probably the other way around. If it really is of Jesus, it's probably going to be painful at points. And they missed that point. And they, they saw it in terms of their agenda or His agenda. It became us versus uh, Him. And they missed it. 
and they missed the agenda that Christ had for them as a church, as a local church. I trust that that church eventually repented and received a new leader who would lead them into what Christ would have for them. But we need to think in line with the Scripture here. We need to respect, to recognize those who labor among us in these ways. We must see them as gifts from Christ for our good. And, and by the way, I say our because I am submitted to the pastoral team as a member of this church. We, we don't have a separation. All of our pastors are members. And so we're part of this body together with you. We're accountable to you as brothers and sisters. But we're also accountable to each other as, under, other, uh, under each other as pastors. And so there are our pastors. And, and so we need to see them as gifts from Christ. And, and by the way, I, this, you know, this isn't planned because there's a problem with our church here. It's because we're going through 1 Thessalonians and I have to preach on this. Um, but, I, but I think it's an occasion, one, first to say thank you because my experience and our team's ex- pastoral team's experience is you guys do recognize and you are incredibly supportive. But that doesn't mean there aren't ways that we can grow. So how do we need perhaps to adjust how we think about our pastors? Are we living on the horizontal? And it may be a good horizontal, by the way. Um, because you can think horizontally in a negative way. You can think, well, you know what? I want a good youth ministry and the youth ministry isn't as good as I want. And so he's not the right guy. This isn't the right church. All right? Not to say you shouldn't think about that, but you can think that way. You can think of it positively too. You can think, this is a good youth ministry. I'm glad to be here and I'm, I'll follow Toby as long as he leads a good youth ministry. We've missed it on both occasions, right? Because we're not seeing that, that, that Toby or whoever it is is here to serve us on our mission to grow the church, to have a good youth ministry that glorifies Christ first and foremost, edifies believers, and reaches the lost. And so, are you thinking horizontally about the leadership of this church or the mission of this church? Instead of seeing what Christ is about, how He's at work, how He's giving grace, and He's giving gifts, in particular in this context, pastoral gifts, for the building up of this local body for His purposes. So that's the first point. We need to recognize the gift of pastors. Second, we need to receive the leaders God gives us. It's just, of course, related. Uh, we need to receive them, and w- what I mean here is we need to receive them in what they do. And so Paul's, Paul talks about them in terms of what they do. He says, first, to respect those who labor among you. Uh, and the word labor here is, there are various words to use in the original language. This is a word that means really toil. It's when you want to say like they work really hard you use this word. And so the New American Standard translates it, who diligently labor among you. Um, and, and this speaks to what pastors are called to do. They're not called to have an easy job. Occasionally I'll get the question from people um, that probably don't understand the local church and the life of the local church. They're, they're new, to, new to Christ perhaps or the Word. And they'll say, well, what do you do the rest of the week? Um, they'll be here on Sunday. And I go, well, I just, I just golf actually. Golf and... and uh, and stuff you know, it, pastoral work is a, is hard work. Uh, it's not a, a call. It's not an occupation for somebody who has trouble putting in forty hours a week. Uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I know a single pastor who does that. Um, the, the, what I see consistently are pastors who work too much, and and so they're working fifty hours a week and, and more. Uh, I know the the bivocational pastors that I know work at least fifty hours a week because they're putting in 40 or 50 hours in their regular job, and then they're putting in 10 or 20 hours serving the church. And I am so grateful for our bivocational pastors, the rest of our team, and how hard they work. 
It is toil. It's hard work. Um, and I've, I've brought up with a good work ethic. I'm glad for that. And I've worked hard in different things. I have not ever worked harder than I have as a pastor. And I don't say that to brag. Just so you are aware. Because you're not necessarily aware of what goes on. And, and then the burden that comes with pastoring, it's a 24-7 burden. And, and these guys carry that burden. Your team carries that burden for you. Um, it is an easy work. It's hard work. Now, it's not necessarily hard physically. And I would say to all pastors, you need to get to the gym because <laughs> you're, you're sitting around probably a lot of the time and eating. There's a lot of hospitality in pastoring. You're eating a lot. So go to the gym it's for the hard physical part. But it is hard uh, emotionally, relationally, intellectually, and spiritually. And that is even with a great congregation. We have a great congregation. Uh, I feel encouraged all the time and supported. And we don't feel like we're here to do ministry. Uh, we're, we feel like you guys, we're together in this. And, and so we're grateful. But it's still hard Be- because of the nature of the work. It's intense work. It really is. Uh, and so uh, we meet with people throughout the day, uh, throughout the week. And you have to put in the effort every time you're with people to, to represent Christ to them uh, by grace, to listen, to love, to bring truth. And so every little meeting is really intense because you're there, I want to listen, I want to serve. Uh, and so you come away from one meeting at times tired. And yet we do that throughout the day. Um, you're dealing with all these situations and, and, and they're intense situations because usually you're getting with people because there's something intense going on. And it can be positive intense. There's, I mean, there's wonderful things we get to do. And we all, we all experience this too. Experience this to a degree, of course. But it's intensified as a pastor. So sometimes it's just wonderful things. Someone's come to faith in Christ. Or they're coming to faith. And you get to meet with them and, and lead them through that or help them get established. And that's just full of joy. But it's still intense. Or they could be getting married and you ha- you're doing counseling. Or it can be the difficult situations. The intensity that comes with hard life situations like sickness and spiritual battles and depression and, and even death. And it, it's just intense. And without God's grace in this, and without the regular prayers of God's people, a pastor, even in the very best circumstances, will be toast in no time if he's doing his job. Um, it's work. It's hard work. Uh, and so don't, if you feel called, don't, don't kid yourself. It's going to be really hard work. And it's going to be a lot of tedious work. And there'll be glorious things to do too. But lots of tedious, just hard work and toil. And to pastor is that. And of course, in any job, that's true. But in this, this call in particular, I've found and I've observed that it's, it's intense. It's toil. And part of the job that Paul's calling pastors to in this, and he's recognizing, is they're laboring and they're also, it says, and are over you in the Lord. So part of what they're called to is, is to toil, but they're called to be over us in the Lord. Uh, they're, they're to exercise oversight now it's oversight in the lord it isn't just oversight right so it's the church belongs to jesus this is jesus church it's not pastor paul's church or pastor jeff's church or whatever just your church it's jesus church right this is jesus church and so pastors are over the church in the lord and this word for for over is is the word uh to, to basically for oversight for management and so there's an aspect of pastoral ministry that is is oversight that you that you lead the church. And it's oversight like a good father. It's oversight like Jesus, a good shepherd. It's self-sacrificing servant leadership. But it is leadership. 
Pastors are not called to merely follow a church. They're called to lead the church. Now, they do that as part of the body and the gifts operating and accountability. All those caveats are there. But nevertheless, there needs to be leadership. A pastor needs to oversee the church. And so, a pastor in that leadership is is to provide leadership, to guide the church, to bring accountability, to help oversee the systems and structures that are in place. Sometimes that means the pastor helps put those in place. Other times it means they're already in place and the pastor just oversees it. So we don't understand ourselves as, as the ones that do ministry, by the way, looking at Ephesians 4. You guys are the ones that do ministry. So we're not doing the ministry and we're ru- not running things in that sense. The church must run the ministries of the church to be a healthy church. But there needs to be pastoral oversight over that to make sure it's healthy, faithful to the Scriptures, uh, it's wise, and so forth. So pastors are called to be over us in the Lord. Uh, and we do that uh, in a plurality, by the way. That's another important caveat in all this. Uh, the singular pastor is not a good idea. It's not wrong from Scripture, so Scripture never prohibits it. But the example in Scripture is, is almost entirely plurality. So pretty much whenever pastors are mentioned, they're mentioned in the plural, not the singular. Uh, and so it helps a lot in all this to realize for us, we are a team. That's why we're a team. And, and, uh, and by the way, when we plant churches, we seek to establish teams as quickly as possible. We, we have pastors be part of the local team until they have a, a team there of pastors locally. So in our plants, uh, they are connected to other pastors. And, and that just is a safeguard in all this. Uh, and it helps us in this accountability, in this oversight. So, so Paul says they are over you in the Lord. And he goes on, he says, and admonish you. So these are the things they do. They, they toil, they work hard, and, and part of how that work is, it's in overseeing you and admonishing you. Uh, this is uh, the idea of teaching and instructing. Uh, it literally means to put sense into your heads. <laughs> That's what a pastor is called to do. To put sense into our heads. To, to give us right understanding. To instruct us in truth. So a very important part of the role is, um, is putting truth into our heads and into our lives. Teaching and instructing. Um, I'm sorry, but I just realized it's only quarter of nine by that clock. And so to make sure I don't go till one o'clock, I've got to put my watch here. Um, so, uh, so that's part of it is teaching and bringing the, really the, the, the good news of Christ is the, is the central truth that we bring. Uh, we understand from Scripture all Scripture points to Jesus. All Scripture uh, either points to Jesus or flows from Jesus. And so this, the sort of sense that we need to put in our heads, and we need, I need to hear it too, is the, is the sense that Jesus has come as the perfect man. He's come as God in the flesh, and He's given His life for us. He died on the cross, bore our sins, and offered up His perfect, righteous, glorious life to atone for our sins, to substitute for our failure, to offer us in His death and resurrection new life, and to follow Him in this new life and experience uh, His new life, to be joined to Him into a local body. And so that's the core of the teaching, uh, the core of the instruction really. And and so we as a a pastoral team, uh, that's why you hear about this every Sunday because this is the core. If there's anything we want to put in your heads, it's this, Christ crucified and risen, that you might be forgiven and have life. And all the rest of Scripture flows to that and from that. And so that's part of what we're called to do, to labor in these ways, to 
oversee, to admonish and teach and bring this important truth of the Gospel. That's what Paul's saying. And certainly this is instruction, but he's calling the local church to respect those who do these things. This is what pastors do. They work hard. They oversee. They teach and instruct. It's hard work. It's interesting to see in, in, as Paul instructs Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 how he describes ministry to Timothy. And, and so just listen. I think we have this to project. but uh, He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he's saying, Timothy, you, you've received from me. Now give it to these faithful men who will do the same. So these would be pastors. He says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my Gospel. Boy, that's just what we're talking about, isn't it? And he's saying these men who are pastors, they need to work. And so he uses three uh, analogies, right? He compares it to a soldier, an athlete, and a hardworking farmer. So if you were just to hear those examples, you'd realize this is a, a tough job. It's a, it's a lot of work. It's compared to life as a soldier who's not getting entangled in civilian pursuits. He's pleasing the one who's enlisted him. He's an athlete who's, who's working hard and competing uh, to accomplish his goal. He's a hardworking farmer. And he's remembering Jesus risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in the Gospel. So this is a picture of what pastors do. Um, it instructs us about that. Uh, and, and it helps us recognize what's going on. What goes on in a pastor's life. It's hard work. And it's good work. And it's rewarding. And I know our guys are, are glad to serve these ways, but we need your help. We need your help in this. Um, and you guys do help in so many ways. But we need your help. We need your prayers. I'm so glad for your prayers and your support and how powerful um, the prayers of God's people for their pastors are and how important. Uh, when Charles Spurgeon years ago, we, uh, Jeff mentioned him earlier, he was a pastor in the late 1800s, wonderful man of God in, in London. A group of American clergy traveled to England to visit and, uh, and, and to see him and to tour his facilities and he showed them around the, the area, he showed them the sanctuary where they met and, and so forth. And then he said, would you like to see the boiler room? And they were like, what? The boiler room? Why do we want to see the boiler room? And they declined, and he, and, but Spurgeon insisted. He says, yeah, I've got to show you my boiler room. So he led them to the church's basement where he, uh, he opened a door, and inside that room were 100 people praying for the church and his ministry. And he said, this is my boiler room. Guys, we need your prayers. We need the boiler room. So keep the boiler room fired up for us as we serve you as we walk together in these things. In light of all this, Paul says to them in verse 13.3, esteem them very highly in love. And so we're, we must regard with deep love the leaders that God gives us. Paul says to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Uh, it's interesting, he says to esteem them or regard them or think about them very highly in love. Uh, and the point here isn't esteeming like I think you know I respect them, but thinking of them in in love 
And he says very highly. He uses this word very highly. And, and this is one of those words that uh, occurs elsewhere in Scripture. It's similar to what you see elsewhere. Uh, Romans chapter 5 where it says where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. It's the same sort of word. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a superlative adverb. And, and so it's one of those words that's like super duper this is what it says. Uh, literally, if I were to d- translate it li- literally, it would be hyper beyond extremely. That's what he's saying. So uh, it's translated very highly in love. So the, the call here is that the Thessalonians would think of their pastors super duper highly in love because of their work. Isn't that interesting? Um, it, it's really interesting to, to think about that, that. That this is a call to really, really love your pastors. And again, this is really awkward for me to say um, and to, to teach it, but I have to. Um, it, it's really interesting. It, it puts a an angle on things that maybe we haven't thought about. Um, not that, that I don't feel loved. I do. <laughs> uh, but it, there's a new, it's just an angle here that's really interesting. How many churches do you know where people really, really love their pastors? And when I say that, like, what's, think, what's going through your mind? You know what's going through my mind? Like, that's a little bit like over the top. I don't know if I want that, you know, to really, really love your pastor. And, and if someone came up to me and, and said, Paul, I just want you to know after that message, I really, really love you guys as pastors. I'd be like, whoa, let's just dial that down a little bit. You're scaring me. Um, and, and, and there's probably lots of reasons for that. Uh, you know, part of it is, I think there's some qualifications here and we'll get to those. Part of it is we're just, in our culture, we're suspicious of leaders. We're jaded by abuses of power. And so we think, no, I'm not going to do that not going to really, really love my pastor. Um, you know, I'm going to keep him accountable. I like that. You know, I'm going to make sure he's faithful. I'm going to call him to account. I'm going to do all that stuff. But really, really love my pastor? That's dangerous. Uh, I think part of it is just, a, just our culture. But I also think there are, there's something that Paul means here. He, he's not looking for um, you know, pastor fan clubs and pastor groupies to be formed here. That's not what he's looking for. And we're not looking for that either. You'd weird us out with that. Um, uh, he's, he's also, I don't think, wanting people just to really love the pastors you know, because of their style or their preaching ability or something. I don't think he's saying that either. He actually says to, hold them, uh, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. I think that's instructive. So he's not looking for people that are, are, that are just loving pastors and are, you know, um, you know, our groupies or whatever, and your pastors here are not looking for that. But what he's looking for is people that really, really love their pastors because of their work. They recognize what's going on. They recognize, again, backing up, right? They see this is a gift from Christ to the church. That this man is called by Christ to equip the church to make us more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus, we glorify Him, we bless one another, we touch people's lives. This work is really precious and important. It's a high priority. And so I love my pastor because he labors in this work, because he's committed to this local church, because he's committed to me. I love what he's doing. I don't necessarily love everything about him. You know, he's human. But I love him in, for the sake of this work and what he's doing and what he's called to. I'm committed to Him and His success because His success is my success. Is our success. 
And so it's, a, I believe, a gratitude for the work and support in the work. It's a care, a genuine care and regard for the pastor and gratitude for the work and support for the work. It's, it's wanting him to be successful and really appreciating his hard work and supporting it. That's what I think Paul's getting at. That's what he means here. And, and just to say, by the way, I, I feel that and our team feels that from you guys. And I have lots of, uh, lots of stories I could tell, but, but one couple I remembered just where this was exemplified to me. Uh, back in 2014, I had knee replacement surgery, uh, April 2014, and Kelly's going for knee replacement surgery, so be praying for her. Um, I had knee replacement surgery, and, and um, I, knew, um, I knew it was going to be an interruption to my schedule. I kind of put it off a little bit, uh, just trying to think, when do I have this? Uh, and I was concerned, you know, just I'm going to be out of action a little bit. Uh, two weeks, I think, I couldn't be on my feet. And... Um, and just wondered, you know, how's it going to impact the church? And your response to that was just so supportive. And you may not have been aware of that, but uh, you guys came to visit me at home when I was at home. I was on the couch. I couldn't get up. Um, you, you came to visit me, you, and you didn't come saying, you know, hey, you've been away. Here's a, here's a 10 things that I need you to work on. Maybe could you get on your computer maybe and take care of this uh, while you're... No, you came and just said, how you're doing? You were supportive and caring. And that said a lot uh, about your heart towards me as a pastor. Uh, because we as pastors are aware of the work and we're called to the work, but to know that you guys were, were relating to, to me in that case just as a brother, caring for me, helping me. Um, another uh, occasion that I remember is when my dad passed in 2011, the amount of support and care that uh, you guys brought to me and to our family um, was very meaningful. And that's what this passage is talking about. It's not saying that you, know, you need to... Um, give these great accolades to your pastor. He needs to be the center of attention. No, that there's a love, a genuine, very deep, exceeding love. It's to love them very much for the sake of the work, because of the work, because of the work they're doing. Uh, and it's, it is wonderful when you have a church where that's going on. And, and it can be hard for pastors, just to be honest. One of the hardest things for a pastor is when that doesn't happen. And we don't, we're not called to this, you know, uh, demanding these things to happen. We're called to follow Jesus. We, we're called by Christ to serve His church. So ultimately, a pastor needs to work for Jesus, but then out of love for the local church. Genuine love. Uh, and to keep on going on. But there are times when it's hard uh, to deal with. And, and one of the hardest things is when someone in the church maybe doesn't understand the love that the pastor has for them in the church and, and treats it as a, as a trivial thing. Not necessarily meaning to. Sam Storms, who's a pastor uh, and a theologian, uh, he wrote something a few years ago, Reflections on 40 Years of Pastoral Ministry, and he said this, I wish I had been prepared for the feelings of betrayal and disillusionment that came when people in whom I had personally invested so much love, time, and energy simply walked away, often for the most insubstantial and flimsiest of excuses. Now, Every pastor understands the Lord calls people. It's not so much the, whether they leave or not, but it's how someone leaves. And one of the hardest things is when someone just leaves like, like that and you've been their friend for years and you've invested in them for years, you love them. And you're not trying to hold them, but you at least want an understanding of the relationship. And, and so I just share that because that's the negative side of it. And by the way, that's very rare here. But I want you to understand for you that, that that's important. And again, we receive this. But maybe in your past, there was a time when you left someone and, and, there, and there wasn't that thought. Um, at least just, you know, 
I'm so glad for how you've served us over these past 10 years. Um, that's what I think this Scripture calls us to, is that sort of love and regard uh, for our pastors. Um, we are to respond in this sort of love. And again, I'm so grateful that that's what I receive and that's what we receive here. Final point, and real quick. Uh, we are to regard them very highly for their work, and, and because of their work is what it says, or for the sake of their work. And we've talked about this, that, that we are to love them because they work hard. We're to love them in response to their work. Uh, and so there's that aspect. Because of their work, because they work, because they've served us, we, we love them for that. But also there's a forward-looking aspect of this. So when we love them and support them, it's for the sake of their work. It's so that they can be successful. And we, when we make pastors successful in this way, the church is successful. And that's what we saw earlier in Hebrews 13. Uh, if you could put that back up. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. How do you do that? Uh, make sure it's not with joy and not with groaning. You love them. You support them. Um, there's feedback too. We want your feedback. So it doesn't mean you don't give feedback. There's appropriate ways that we walk as a body. But there's support and there's love. So they have joy and not with groaning. And then in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says, for that would be of no advantage to you. In other words, when you support your pastors in their roles and they feel your love and support, they are going to do their work with joy and not groaning. And that's going to make them better pastors. And that's going to make the church a better church. So it's a, to our advantage that we do that, that we support our pastors. In this, in this uh, verse as well, Paul says, be at peace among yourselves. So we regard them very highly in love because of their work. And then be at peace among yourselves. This whole ending section in Thessalonians, by the way, is about peace in the church. But Paul is saying that when, when you relate to your pastors this way, there's peace in the church. And this is biblical peace. This is peace that is not only freedom from strife, and it's so sweet when brothers dwell together in unity, isn't it? Uh, that part is precious and worthy of the hard work. And by the way, guys, there's hard work here. Um, uh, there's reason to love our pastors, and there'll be times when it's hard to love your pastors. Uh, and so we need to work at that. We need to do our best to preserve unity. But it's sweet when there's unity and freedom from strife and there's love like this. And, and there's a peace. The peace of God is a biblical flourishing. It's the church being mature and healthy and active and reflecting Christ and loving one another and people employing their gifts and, and people who don't know Christ being loved by that church and touched by that church. That's what Paul wants for the Thessalonian church. And if the band could come up as I close. This is what Paul wants for the Thessalonian church. This is what God wants for King of Grace. We're to seek the peace and success of our local church by deeply loving and supporting our pastors. Thank you guys for how you do this so well. And I attribute much of the health of this church to your support to obey these truths and to support your pastors in a biblical way. But as we close and as we get ready to transition, let me just ask, is there one thing maybe that you could take a step of growth in? I don't know what that would be. Um, I think we have it really good. <laughs> um, but God may have something that He wants to address in your life. It might just be prayer. 
Um, maybe you can just be praying more regularly for your pastors. Thank you for those that do. Many of you pray regularly and you let us know that and I'm so grateful. But maybe you know it's just to start praying regularly. Boy, we would love it if you just took one minute uh, in the morning each day and just prayed for our team and prayed for our church. So maybe that's a step of application. That would be oh so fantastic. Um, but maybe there's some other way. There's some other step you can take. Some way you can respond to the, the Lord and His Word. Um, let me pray for you. And we'll take a minute to do that, and then Jeff will lead us in transition to communion.